Welcome to Closer to Christ, the sermon podcast from St. Paul's Lutheran Church and The Bridge in Muskego, Wisconsin. You can learn more about our ministries at stpaulmuskego.org. And now for this week's message. Good morning, Bridge. A great last song, a great uh, road into our message for today. Welcome to all who are visit, visiting with us today. Welcome to all of us who are online and we're in worship today. A pleasure to have you with us in-house today as we spend time in worship of our God and spend time with our Savior through his word for us in Acts chapter 17, verses 1 through 12. We are in a new sermon series, as Mike's been mentioning, our next steps. We just came away from my next steps, my personal journey after visiting the empty tomb of Jesus Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. He is risen. What do I do with that? And now what do we do with that together in our next steps? With the thought, we are convinced that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, risen to life. And now what does the church do? Acts 17, 1 through 12. These verses come on the heels of the Apostle Paul and his companion Silas preaching the gospel in the Roman colony city of Philippi in ancient Macedonia. In brief, Paul ends up being imprisoned, he and Silas, for preaching the gospel, for casting an evil, an evil spirit, a demon out of a slave girl that her owners were using to make money off of her fortune telling. Paul casts out the demons, the men take Paul and Silas before the magistrates, Paul and Silas are stripped beaten with rods, thrown in prison, their feet in the stocks. The next morning, they are released and rather ceremoniously, interestingly enough, escorted to the edge of town and told, go, leave, don't come back. We picked up with them, Acts 17, 1 through 12. When Paul and his companions had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, we have Appleton, they had Amphipolis, right? They came to Thessalonica, where there was a Jewish synagogue, a church. As was his custom, Paul went into the synagogue, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that the Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Messiah, he said. Some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks and quite a few prominent women. But other Jews were jealous, so they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace, formed a mob, and started a riot in the city. They rushed to Jason's house in search of Paul and Silas in order to bring them out to the crowd. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some other believers before the city officials, shouting, These men who have caused trouble all over the world have now come here. And Jason has welcomed them into his house. They are all defying Caesar's decrees, saying that there is another king, one called Jesus. When they heard this, the crowd and the city officials were thrown into turmoil. Then they made Jason and the others postpone and let them go. As soon as it was night, the believers sent Paul and Silas away to Berea, a neighboring city. On arriving there, 
they went to church, the Jewish synagogue. Now, the Berean Jews were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica. For they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul had said was true. As a result, many of them believed, as did also a number of prominent Greek men, women, and many Greek men. This is the word, the history from our God. Dear friends in Christ Jesus, so our family has been on a journey in the last two weeks as we have been celebrating the ushering home to heaven of two of our family members, my mother-in-law and my sister-in-law, the final funeral being tomorrow. But as God so often does when we gather to celebrate someone going home to heaven, family gets together and you do what families do. We, we sit around for hours and we talk. And so we've, we've had every, almost everybody there, brothers and brothers-in-law and sisters-in-law and cousins and acquaintances, friends of the family from years gone by. And if it's anything like your get-togethers, you know what I'm talking about when you see this next photo. At least the car guys, we talk about cars we once knew and loved. My brother had an Oldsmobile Cutlass, 72 Cutlass, that just was a sweet car. But my brother-in-law brought up the fact that he once had an Oldsmobile 442, one of the muscle cars of the late 60s, early 70s. Called the 442, well, it had, had a four-barrel carburetor, which in these days, in this day and age with the electric cars, that's going the way of the dinosaur, but man, it was cool. Four-barrel carburetor, four-speed manual transmission, because clutching is still the way to drive, my friend. And the two of the 442, depending on who you talk to, was the dual exhaust coming out the back. Now, when you're 17 years old, nothing is cooler than sitting behind the wheel of a 442 at the stoplight, and the engine is just purring. It is just humming with power and potential, and you're waiting for that light to go green because just a feather of the accelerator, and boom, it comes to life, and off you go. Now you're thinking, what in all the world does that have to do with church? Well, some of us look at church like the 442 idling at the stoplight. This is a picture of our, of our second site now on 76 in Oklahoma, the Bridge MKE, Milwaukee. Okay, And we look at that, and some of us are thinking, wow, it's like that 442 sitting at the stoplight, just waiting for God to say go with power and potential. But ask yourself the question, what is it that brings the hum, the purr, to the church? You know, when people drive onto this campus, and they drive into the back on, on the right weekday, at the right time of day, they might drive in and see 230 kids and plus staff pouring out into the parking lot, going across to the main church for chapel. And they're thinking, whoa, that school makes this place hum. Wow. Or they might look to their right as they're pulling in and see, oh, there's this community counseling and care center. These people love people. And they have a counseling center. That's part of the hum of this place. And then some of them find out that we have 2,700 members. And they're like, whoa, there's the power. There's the hum in, in, in 2,700 people. 
And then others find out that we have different worship languages from traditional to contemporary in three different places. And wow, they're appealing to people and how they, how they communicate. The hum of the church. And believe it or not, some, of, some people might think that the hum of the church is us, the people ourse- ourselves. They're just so nice at the bridge at St. Paul's. I mean, we have, we have greeters like Sally. Every Sunday, and Joel Smith, and Maddie, and the Bradleys. And you walk up, and there's a smile, and, well, good morning, welcome to the bridge, and people just feel love. But, wow, what pressure that would be if the hum of the church depended on us and the thing that we do, things that we do. What if Sally was sick and couldn't be here? What if Maddie had a bad morning and she was kind of grumpy and there was a cloud as you walked into the bridge? Whoa, right? So where does the hum of the church come from? Some people might think it comes from the preachers because we bring it every Sunday, right? I can only speak for me. I can't speak for Dave and Pete, but on my computer, I actually have this file folder that's labeled 14 hours to a sermon at St. Paul's. And in that folder is a bunch of files. First one is sermon study. A little bit of Greek, a little bit of praying, a little bit of commentary. Then we take that sermon study and we go to our ministry team on a Tuesday morning. We talk about the text and we, what, what applications can we make? And then we put together, and I actually forgot to bring my worship folder with me. Uh, it's lying over there. But the back, back side has the sermon notes on it. If, yeah, if someone would share with me, that way I can refer to it throughout because I'm going to try to get all the blanks filled today. All right. But the sermon notes, thank you. The sermon notes on the back. Because some of us like to learn best by filling in blanks. But then the next file is the group work on the inside cover because you got inside back cover because you got to have something for the small groups to do during the week or the individuals to think about and pray about. And then there's usually a written sermon. Sorry, not this week. Next time around. No written out sermon this week. But then we put together the PowerPoints because most of us are visual learners and it at least keeps us awake if the sermon gets a little bit long, right? And then hopefully we finish it off by a shower, a shave, and then we dress for success depending on the venue. Is the hum of the church the fact that preachers bring it week after week? That's a lot of pressure, let me tell you. And it can, for some, be a huge temptation. Well, the hum of the church is all about me. What did Paul bring to his sermon at Thessalonica? Fresh off of being in prison, beaten with rods, birch rods, probably a little bit thicker than your thumb. Beaten with birch rods. He probably had a broken rib or two. He probably had a back that looked like hamburger in other areas of his body because the Roman soldiers were not nice with these, these rods. And then he had between a 45 and 60 mile two-day walk to get to Thessalonica. But being the Apostle Paul, the first thing he does, his custom is he goes to church. He goes to the synagogue. And I can tell you he did not show up with PowerPoint and handouts. And he probably didn't have a chance to shave and shower and put on some clean clothes. But he went to church. And he preached the good news of a Savior. And people came to faith. Some of the Jews, 
a good many Greek men and women came to faith. What a comfort to know that it isn't all that I bring that is the hum of the church. Did you notice the hum of the church? In that whirlwind of events and what's happening, verses 2 and 3, as was his custom, Paul went into the synagogue, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that the Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus, I am proclaiming to you, is the Messiah. The hum of the church. It's not in a man, it's not in people, it's in the man and the message. The man and the message in the person of Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, who became man through the Virgin Mary, still our brother today, who stepped into history without sin to be the hum of the church, the power under the hood of the church. It sounded like this to Paul. It sounds like this in our 166 years of being a congregation. We preach Christ and Him crucified. And if you're filling out your notes, we add the thought more these days, we preach Christ crucified and risen. You see, Jesus is the greatest need of all mankind in all the world. Our need sounds like this, but our need, with an artist's freedom, our need looks like this. We long for a relationship with our Creator. You see, the truth of God's Word is hinted at for us when Jesus said this in Matthew 11, 28 and 29. He said, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. His heart of love that embraces us. Because you see, the Bible shares this awesome truth that God wants with us a beautiful relationship. The beauty of relationship was God's intent and God's plan when he created when he made Adam and Eve on the first day, he, he, or the sixth day rather, he, he formed Adam out of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And then he lovingly made Eve from Adam's rib. And he brought the two of them together for relationship with each other, but primarily for relationship with him. And the Bible tells us that God would routinely, it would seem, walk and talk with Adam and Eve in the garden in the cool of the day. God is here, and off they would run. But along with the beauty of relationship, the Bible speaks to what we know, and that's the reality of our sin. That sin got in the way of that relationship and in fact shattered it. For in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve, in a moment said to God, God, get off your throne. We're going to sit and we're going to play God and we're going to eat of the fruit. And that rebellion shattered that relationship. And it rippled into their earthly relationships. The woman you gave me, Lord, it's her fault. Sin shattered relationship. But God didn't destroy the world. He let the world roll, but he gave it a promise. I will send a Savior who will destroy 
Satan, and shut his mouth and keep him from accusing you of sin. I will send an offspring of the woman. And so for 4,000 years, the world waited. And while they waited, God worked through the heartache and the trouble and the pain of the curse of sin to work in people a hunger, a hunger for restoration, a restored relationship with our God in heaven. And then God in love sent his son, Jesus. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. That's what it sounds like. This is what it looks like. The empty cross and the empty tomb. You see, Jesus died on that cross. Jesus, the holy son of God and the holy son of man, who had no sin in himself. But why did he die? Because the Bible says that the father in his salvation plan placed the sins of the world and on Jesus. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all, Isaiah prophesied, 70, 700 years before Jesus walked the earth. And then Jesus, on that cross, suffered hell for you and me. And then he died, and he went ahead of us into the grave. He came out alive, and then he ascended into heaven, all to prove to us that he had defeated sin, death, and the devil, and that our relationship with God was now good again through the forgiveness of sins through faith in him. We have eternal life because of Jesus, who is the hum of the church. You see, when the, just as the 442 was sitting there at the stoplight, so the church, humming with that good news of Jesus. God, to whom do we go? To whom do we go? So, our next question on our uh, sermon notes. Is it the people who bring it? Do we have some role to play? And the answer is yes. On the night before he died, in John 13, we have recorded where Jesus said these words to his disciples. You know them well, probably. John 13, 34, and 35. Jesus said, A new command I give you, my disciples. Love one another as I have loved you. People will know that you are mine if you love one another. You see, when I come to believe in Jesus as my Savior, and I am convinced, and when you come to believe in Jesus as your Savior, and you are convinced, and together we are convinced, it changes lives and this world. Think back to our text. Jealous Jews, jealous of Paul and Silas gathering a following, stealing members from the synagogue. They rally the mob. They rush to Jason's house, because guess what? Jason was a new believer. Hey, I believe in Jesus. I believe in the guy you're, t you're telling me about. Come stay at my house. I will feed you and stay here and teach us more about Jesus. And so the mob got together. They went to Jason's house to find Paul and Silas. Paul and Silas weren't home. But Jason and new believers were. And Jason and those new believers stood up for Jesus. We are convinced and they allowed themselves to be hauled into the marketplace. Interestingly enough, the Roman authorities had no clue what to do with this Jewish problem. And so they finally said, give us some money, stop doing it, and we'll let you go. 
But then Jason and the new believers go and they find Paul and Silas. And they probably packed a lunch and a backpack and some extra clothes and said, go. We're going to take you out in the dark of night, get you to safety. You shared him with us here. We'll continue. You go and share with others. You see, what God's people see and do, but what they primarily see, we see the future. Now, these Thessalonians did not see St. Paul's in Muskego and the bridge in Muskego. They did not see 2,700 members. They did not see 230 kids. They did not see what you, what you and I see in the things that we do. But in their own way, they saw us. You guys go and tell them. Tell others about Jesus. Share the hum of the church. They saw the future. What is the future? Of the church. Well, this afternoon, 40 of our young people are getting confirmed. 40 of our young people who will stand before God and the congregation and their families and confirm their faith in Jesus as their Savior, promising to be faithful to Him even to the point of death. And some of us who are older will be sitting there in, in church looking at this going, ah, oh, the Thank you, God, the future of the church. Well, it's Confirmation Sunday, which means it, it's quiz time. So let's go to number four on your, on your, on your uh, sermon notes. What is the future of the church? A, the next generation. B, the statement, we are convinced that Jesus is the Christ sent from God. Or, both A and B. Best answer would be C, A and B. But the best answer is B. We are convinced that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, the Savior of the world. That's the hum of the church. Like the 442 sitting at the stoplight. Waiting. It's the hum of the church. Yes, the next generation, we share with the next generation. And that's an awesome and amazing thing. But let us never forget the hum that is the church. And the hum is a beautiful thing. I'm going to share with you the rest of a story to share how beautiful is the hum. Over the last three years... I have preached two or three times about Tony Medina. Raise your hand if you remember Tony. At least through the sermons. Okay? Tony Medina. Tony Medina first visited St. Paul's in September of 2019. Tony was a 43-ish year old man at that point. Um, had been full of life, vim, vigor, and vitality. Cabinet maker, truck driver. But Tony had been diagnosed with MSA, multiple systems atrophy. Think the Lou Gehrig's disease family, amyotrophic lateral sclerosis, nervous system. By the time Tony came to visit us, Tony was a shadow of his former self physically, walking in with a walker at age 43, a slow conversation at the door. But Tony and I began doing Bible study together. He was here almost every Sunday for a while. And then he and I spent 
Almost two years, I go to his house on, on 68th and Lincoln in, in Stalis, West Dallas. And we do following the promise class at a slow pace. But Tony loved it. Through COVID, a little bit of Zoom, harder. And then December of 2021, I lost track of Tony because he was supposed to be transferred to one facility. I went there to visit with him, and they said, no, he had issues. He was here for a day, and they transferred him elsewhere, and I couldn't find where in Kenosha they had transferred him to. And so for the last year and a half, I've been thinking about and praying about Tony. Then a week and a half ago, Pastor Pete was on Facebook, because he knows I'm not. And so he sent me this photo. In loving memory of Anthony J. Medina, Tony, February 7th, 1972, to April 8th, 2023. Tony is in heaven with Jesus. He can walk, he can speak, he can breathe. But for us as the church, our next steps, listen to what Lori Winishek, former member here, wrote on Facebook with this post. It's small, I'll read it to you. Lori McGroovy Winishek is with Tony Medina and five others at St. Adelbert Cemetery, either the day of the funeral or visiting. My dear longtime friend, Tony, was laid to rest today and is in the arms of Jesus. When Tony was diagnosed with MSA, multiple systems atrophy, a rare debilitating and paralyzing terminal brain disease three years ago, he reached out to me and asked if I would take him to church with me. I loved picking him up and helping him in my truck and sitting next to him in the church pew at St. Paul's Lutheran Church, Muskego, Wisconsin, every Sunday. I will forever cherish our talks about Jesus in person and in messenger. I will miss you, Tony, and I can't wait to see you in your glorious new body. Why did Lori bring him here? Why did Tony love coming here? Why did he love Bible study here? Because this church... comes with the man and the message that makes the difference in all of our lives. Pastor Pete sent me that photo when I was sitting in the hotel room in Pennsylvania for my sister-in-law's funeral when we got the news that mom-in-law had gone to heaven. And I get this, and I, my eyes filled with tears, and I texted Pastor Pete, and I said, Jesus left the 99 and he found the one. And Tony's safely home. What is the future of this church? Oh, we're, we're going to be dreaming more about what we can do and the things we might see. It'll be fun. But the future of this church, my family and friends, guaranteed will always be the hum of the man and the message who came to die for the sins of the world 
who died for Tony and you and me. And as long as God gives us strength, may we sit at the stoplight of life with the engine idling and praying, Lord, who next? Let us rev your church to life and share the hum of the gospel. Your last notes. Yes, in our love for the gospel and for each other. The hum of the church in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Let's pray. Great God and Lord, what a privilege to sit in the vehicle of the church. What a privilege that each of us in this space, we pray, knows your son Jesus as Savior and Lord. And knows that in our Savior Jesus, we have eternal life that nothing can take away. Heavenly Father, may we be the church of your Son. Your Son came to live among us for 33 years. Your Son came and preached among us for 33 years. And then he started the, the engine of the church when he died on the cross for the sins of the world and rose back to life to guarantee to the world that there is life through faith in him and the forgiveness of sins. May the bridge at St. Paul's in Muskego always be a place that gets what gives this place the hum, the strength, the power, the joy, the hope. It's not in the cool things we do or the great things we see. That's all to your glory. It's in the message of Jesus, the world's Savior from sin. So let each and every one of us be richly in your word that the hum of the gospel may be audible and visible every day of our lives. And collectively, together as the church, may we be different than the world by how we love, how open we are to share our Jesus with people. Heavenly Father, we thank you this day that you've closed the story of Tony Medina, that he is now home in heaven with you, if it's appropriate, say hi to Tony from all of us. I'm glad he's there. And in heaven, we'll play some sheep's head and we'll talk about life and remember how great it was that Jesus found us. So thank you for being our Savior, God. And now, Heavenly Father, we join together in the prayer your Son taught us, a prayer that gathers all the thoughts of our hearts and minds. Together we pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours now and forever. Amen. And now receive with believing hearts the blessing of our God. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord look on you with his favor and give you his peace. And together the people of God say, Amen. Thanks for joining us on the Closer to Christ sermon podcast from St. Paul's Lutheran Church and The Bridge in Muskego, Wisconsin. Closer to Christ podcasts are from our current sermon series and are released every Monday morning. For live stream services and other ministry information, please visit us online 
at stpaulmuskego.org.